With over 2,000 television episodes and numerous films under his belt, I was curious about why this Emmy-winning actor, who was once voted the world's most handsome man and whose career was flourishing, would ever want to leave Mecca, better known as either New York or LA. Turns out he has other goals and they involve a woman of his dreams who moved with him and is now mom to their three amazing children. His career continues to blossom, and I talked with him about the industry, freedom from addiction, his work on behalf of the charity Boys Town, his work with high schoolers via Next Generation Storytellers, and his longtime partner and best friend, Trent Garrett. Meet Jacob Young. Good morning, Jacob. It's early on a Saturday morning. My brain's not working yet, but I'm really happy that you're here. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and we have a lot to talk about. So first of all, tell people where you are and what's going on in your world today. Yeah, no, I'm currently in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, raising my family here and enjoying you know, the, you know, the, everything that the South has to offer, people, the food. It's a it's a really special place and I've really it's really grown on me and my kids too. You have a beautiful family. Did I see you zip lining with your kids on an Instagram post? I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're there. It's just a beautiful isn't family wonderful? I mean, it's uh you were asking me a question yesterday when we were talking and and about who uplifted me throughout the years, and one of the major things is family, you know. So it's really what made you decide to leave Los Angeles? Well, uh, originally I left Los Angeles when I got a contract in New York and moved to New York. Um, I was single at that time. And uh, a, a good buddy of mine, Ken Schreiner, has been on General Hospital for eons uh, since the early 70s. Uh, you know, he said, you don't need to worry about, you know, relationships. You just need to focus on your acting. And, and I, so I took that to heart. I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't get involved in a relationship or anything too serious and just really hunker down. And of course I met my wife in New York a couple years living there. And within six months I proposed to her. So, well, that was quick. <laughs> it went out the window. Well, you know, I didn't want it to pass me by. In fact, the story is, and this is a true story. She was modeling in New York City and she had just gotten, we had just met and we had gone on several dates and we really were getting to know each other. And she got this contract to go to Japan and she was going to be there for like three months. And mm -hmm. I said, how much are they paying you? And she told me, and I said, I'll double it if you stay. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. What a great story. And it's been quite a few years now. How many years have you been married? Uh, 15, but we've been together 17. That's nice. Yeah. Well, it's really nice. I love to see people in the business who are able to have stable relationships. It's not that often uh, that it happens. It's a tough business on relationships, but you, you had a longstanding relationship with all of the soaps that you were on, it was like extended family, right? Can you tell some of our audience who may not know about your early years as an actor, what you were on and the, the two main characters that you played on those soaps? Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, of course. You know, it's funny. I'll, I'll go into these schools now and I'm meeting, you know, these kids that are budding actors and uh, I'll I'll mention the shows and and this is when you know it's a completely disconnected with students. They go, never heard of it. <laughs> I'm like, it's on every single day, Monday through Friday on basic, you know, cable. They're like, huh, weird. That's interesting. It's a different world. It yeah, certainly is. Yeah. No, so I mean, I got my start at 17 years old. I was getting ready to go to college, and I decided that I wanted to make a little extra money on the side to try to pay for college and any, any expenses that I might have. So I went around and I got a commercial agency, but now that was a feat within itself because I knew nothing about it. I had nobody else that I knew in the business. I got some headshots together. I pulled out my, uh, my Thomas guide and the phone book, <laughs> which, which will, you know, date you, you know, pretty quickly with the youngsters. Um, they don't and, know what a Thomas guide is. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was a, it was the early prehistoric GPS. Yeah. 
Yeah, they don't know how to read paper maps. I still have mine. I kept yeah. it. It's a relic, but I kept it because I figured if an EMP ever hits, I'll be able to get around. <laughs> well, that, that was the one thing that actually got like I, how I figured out how to get around Los Angeles. And in fact, because you have to, you're forced to, you know, look at a map and figure out where you're going. I learned Los Angeles like the back of my hand in no time. Yeah. Whereas I have friends that have moved to Los Angeles and they rely on their GPS and they still don't know, you know, where they're going half of the time. But, uh, but yeah, so I got my, I got the phone book out. I literally pulled out all these different agents addresses. I had all these little, little manila envelopes together with my headshot and, you know, very, very simple green resume. And I went around, I dropped it off to, I don't know, it had to have been 30 to 50 different agencies. One agency called me and I was on my way back to San Diego because I was living in San Diego briefly uh, while I was finishing high school. And they said, can you come back to the agency right now? We'd love to talk to you. So I went back and I ended up getting signed with this commercial agency. And so my mom, of course, she was thrilled. She's like, I always knew you, you're going to be able to do something like this. I'm like, mom, who knows what's going to happen, right? <laughs> uh, and so two months go by of auditioning for multiple commercials. Three months start going by. My mom's like, when are you going to get something? I'm like, mom, <laughs> it takes time. I'm still kind of getting my feet about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly green at this whole auditioning process. But it wasn't long after that, um, I ended up, uh, I got booked on a national Pepsi commercial, a Nickelodeon show, and then of course, The Bold and the Beautiful. It was all happening happening simultaneously. And so Bold and the Beautiful wanted to sign me. So I had to choose between the jobs because they both, all of them started about the same time. And that was the best contract. So I ended up signing uh, a three-year deal with Bold and the Beautiful to start. And six months later, I was nominated for my first daytime Emmy and everything else sort of just kind of snowballed from there. So on The Bold and the Beautiful, I played the patriarch's son, Eric Forrester, who plays my father on the show. I played Rick Forrester or Eric Forrester Jr. And, and so, yeah, so I was, uh, I would, would work under my father who owns this fashion company in Los Angeles, which is so crazy because really there's no fashion companies in Los Angeles but it's the only soap opera that is based on uh, a real city, right? Because all of them are also like Pine Valley or Genoa right. City or, you know, all these different are same. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, you know, so it was, it was, it was an interesting time. And of course, I, I remember the very first time I, I was put in one of those soap magazines. I was, I was beside myself. I went in and talked to John McCook, who played Eric Forrester, plays Eric Forrester still to this day. And I said, they put me in one of these magazines. And he started laughing and he was like, man, he goes, just, just you wait. There's going to be a lot more to, to, to come. And, and he was absolutely right. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> he was right. So you've been nominated how many times? Five times for Se Emmys and seven. won once? Seven. Seven and times. you won one. Yeah. Tell everybody what that one was for. Well, that was actually uh, for General Hospital. I, I uh, wasn't, but I left Bold and the Beautiful I was, I had new representation I was getting out there in the world and general hospital called and they said, Hey, we'd like for you to audition to play Luke and Laura's son on general hospital. And of course, Luke and Laura, for anybody who doesn't know, they were on the cover of time magazine. At one point, they were the hottest couple in daytime television. Everybody I talked to men and women say I would skip, you know, school, you know, just to see <laughs> The wedding, you know, we all skipped school to see the marriage. I, I was in my college classes. And then other people would tell me uh, they would get extra credit if they skipped school and then told their teacher what happened on the plot line. So it, it was a big thing. And I said, well, you know, uh, getting an opportunity to play the son of Luke and Laura, I thought that was a really great experience. So um, I auditioned, I had to do screen tests, had to go through all the hoops and of course, Jeannie Francis and Tony Geary, who played Luke and Laura, both didn't want the character recast because they had uh, somebody who had been playing the character since the age of seven. And I guess he was about 13, 14 when he decided to leave the show to start a film career. And they just didn't want it to happen. And they, you know, they both were not not for it. And um, eventually this, the show talked to Tony and they said, hey, if we give you, you know, carte blanche of who you would like to choose after the screen test, then will you be willing to do that? And of course, uh, he said, sure. 
So after screen testing against, I think it was about 12 different actors, because it was a big search they were looking for, uh, I ended up getting that job. And that's what I won the Emmy for was for General Hospital. You uh, are so talented. I mean, what had you done prior to all of that to be ready for such demanding acting roles? I mean, those those are not just little tiny five liners. That's that's a lot of work. Well, I was I was a bit of a ham as a kid. I had a big imagination and, you know, I would I would dress up and act out things and scenes. Even when I was little, my dad would be like, go do that dance thing. Go get that outfit on. We were at a barbecue and and I I'd just entertain people. I started playing harmonica at the age of six. And and that was something that I, you know, was my first instrument. And so it was pretty unusual to see a six year old playing every single campfire song. And, and so oh. that entertainment was always in my, you know, in my bones, so to speak. I was in multiple choirs over the years. I'm a singer. And of course I was in theater in school and, and I just never thought like most of these young people that you can actually make a living out of it, especially coming from such a detached area in Oregon where I grew up. Um, it was just, uh, you know, it was just so far away from Hollywood. Isn't it amazing when you're doing what you love, you're just absolutely doing what you love. The universe puts you in the right place at the right time. Not always when you think it's going to happen, but I think that's what happened with you. You just had the urge. You did what you wanted to do. And there you were at the right place at the right time. And you were good at it. So it, I read somewhere that you had done over 2000 hours of television. Is that accurate? Uh, 2000 episodes. Oh, 2000. Ep- wow. 2000 episodes. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. So was it hard to leave it? You know, there there was a, a time where, because I had, I had left General Hospital and I went to go work on All My Children and probably most of my notoriety in daytime really comes from All My Children. Of course, that's the soap opera with Susan Lucci, uh, Kelly Ripa, Eva uh, LaRue. So many wonderful actors had come out of there, Mark Consuelos. Um, and, you know, that was really probably the best time of my life, working in New York City. You know, you weren't just a soap actor in New York. You were a working actor, which, you know, people made you feel that way. Whereas in Los Angeles, for so many years, the stigma was, oh, he's just a soap actor. And and then, you know, that would that would also play into effect with auditions and other jobs in TV and film. So it was always a hindrance. But when I was in New York, it felt right. So I would have stayed on that show until its absolute demise, which I did, you know. Um, but I mean, if it was still on today, I would I would gladly be on that show. Um, I was very fortunate when it did get canceled that Bold and the Beautiful called and asked me to come back to reprise the role that I had originally started in 1997. Mm-hmm. So I went back over there. But there was there was like, you know, a lot of times there was some bad blood between my management and how I left the bold and the beautiful the first time. And I don't think the executive producer ever forgot that. Um, Mm -hmm. We, we mended the bridge. We worked, I worked quite a bit, quite a, quite a lot on bold and the beautiful, but you know, it's very fickle. It's kind of like, who's the new pet uh, on on that show. Yeah. It's only a 30 minute show, which actually works out to be what 16 minutes or something like that of actual airtime. And you have a cast that's there's too many players that are under contract and not enough, you know, screen time. And eventually, um, you know, I had a had a very nice contract after, you know, six years back on that show. And they just weren't working me. And my guarantee was was there and they were still paying. And I think they just kind of looked at the books and they were like, wow, we owe him this much money and he hasn't worked and we're not working him. They basically said, look, we we want to keep you around, but we want to take you off a contract. And at this point, I was spent. I'd already done 2000 episodes plus. That's a lot. And I said, uh, I said, if you're going to do that, I'm I'm not staying. I've done done enough. I'm already vested into my health care and my retirement. And um, and I had actually done that by the time I was 30 years old because of so much airtime. Uh, and episodes that I had done. So at that point, I was like, you know, 
I need to take some time to really try to re uh, structure my career and really reevaluate what I really want to be doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And you ended up moving with your family at that point, right? Yeah. So while I was still on Bold and the Beautiful, uh, I moved to Utah and we got out of Los Angeles, Los Angeles. You know, I know why people, you know, find it appealing. Um, there's some beautiful places in California, but it was just never for me. And I, I, you know, I remember I was in traffic, you know, going the 13 miles it took me to get from the South Bay to CBS TV city for the umpteenth time and stuck in traffic two and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> Been and they're done that. Yeah. And so I'm talking to my <laughs> wife on, on speakerphone and I said, I, I just can't do this. I I, I, we, I said, I could be anywhere. I could be flying someplace right now. And she's like, well, why don't we do that? I'm like, are you serious? And she said, yeah. So we took a drive. Uh, that, that winter, we went up to um, Driggs, Idaho, which if anybody knows, that's the other side of the Tetons on the Idaho side. It's got to be beautiful. Absolutely stunning. There, you know, we rented this house. We had Christmas there. We found out that Christmas that we were pregnant with our second child. Oh. And it was just, it was just really, really special. Snowed every single day. There was a bald eagle perched on the fence in front of the, the house the entire time. It was incredible. And when we left, we were crossing over from Idaho into Utah and it was early morning. I always like to start early, get to let the, the kids sleep, you know, <laughs> still dark out, but the sun started coming up and this beautiful mountain range as you just start to get into Utah was peeking through and the sun was coming through and, mm. and I just started to weep. And, and I was like, you know, I, my wife was awake and I was like trying to, you know, hide it. I was being, men don't cry and don't cry. We're tough. <laughs> I looked over and she was crying too. So oh. she was already feeling, experiencing the same thing I was. And it was that moment we said, well, maybe this is the spot. We need to find this spot right here. Some, you know, we don't know what it is. We don't know what town it is. We don't know anybody. Don't know anything about it. So we literally went back to Redondo Beach, got on the computer and just started looking at all the areas. And eventually we found it. We found that the mountain range, but the pocket that was inside of it, which is just north of Park City a little ways, about a, you know an hour and a half. And we found a house and bought a house and seven acres. And it, oh. was, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful change. Is that like north of Heber? Yeah, it's north of Heber. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a couple mountain ski mountains up there. There's uh, Snow Basin Ski Resort. Mm -hmm. um, it's a valley called um, Ogden Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, three towns, Huntsville, Eden, and Liberty. Mm -hmm. And it's there's, th again, three ski resorts there, Powder Mountains there. And they, that's the biggest like off-trail uh, skiing, I think, in, I think all, almost in the whole country. So it's it's a it's a real ski mecca area, but really quiet valley. You have a lot of farms, and then you have a lot of like new money that's come in. Yeah. When was that? What do you remember the year? Oh, I'm terrible I, with years. It's I would answer. say, gosh, uh, we were there six years. We've been here four. So, yeah, I mean, it would have been 2014. Yeah, that was after 15. I had left. Yeah, this afternoon. I almost bought a house in Heber. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty there. It's beautiful. Yeah, I was on the film commission in Utah before I got involved in Sundance. So I lived there for about 10 years. It's beautiful yeah. there. It Just absolutely beautiful. is. Yeah, and, and it's a great place to raise a family. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to L.A.'s never been my favorite town. In I don't think L.A.'s all that pretty. I drive around L.A. and I think this is really kind of ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in San Diego now. So you you left, you moved in, you had your second child, and you've been making films since. You keep working. You've not stopped working. Um, and I, I'm curious about what your what's on your bucket list in terms of films. What what kind of roles would you want to be playing next? What what are you thinking about? Well, I, I really want to delve. I'm, I, I'm, uh, people look at me, they see this, uh, you know, they see the face, they see this, this guy, they go, Oh, he's you know, a good looking guy. People, that magazines, one. world's most handsome man, that kind of thing. 
Exactly. But what, what they <laughs> don't see is, is the depth of mm-hmm. my capabilities as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I love characters. I love playing characters. And it's, it's probably for me, the hardest to break into because, you know, I, they have to beat me up a little bit and make me look a little rough around the edges in order to, you know, to get there. But, um, really just, you know, being able to delve into some characters that are, are raw emotions that are, you know, are deeper and not so surface, like soap operas can, you know, very well be. Mm-hmm. And a little campy, of course. I love film. Um, Did you get that, some of that on Walking Dead? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, yeah, I played a, I played a, you know, a really bad guy. Um, you know, the whole crew of guys that we were working with, you know, with this bad guys called the Reapers, of course, like if you're called the Reapers, but they were all in uh, military black or like special forces fatigues and, and just, you know, they were another civilization living the same time. And they happened to cross over with, uh, with all the other main characters. So yeah, I did get into that. I did shoot a film last end of last summer out at the Salton sea Mm. and it Ooh, was that's a tough area yeah it was and it was supposed to be very very gritty so i i played this guy who's you know strung out on coke and you know just once out he was a he burned up actor never got his dreams fulfilled and now he's stuck under the thumb of this older lady who's using um you know some crimes that she had him commit against him and she'll turn him in and so that was a that was a fun gritty role to get into and uh, you know, so those are, so those, those are things that I really like to, to delve into and comedy too. I love comedy. Well, you're really, really talented. And, uh, you know, where do you stay when you're filming at salt and sea? Oh, you don't so, want to know in trailers, <laughs> right? You have to be in trailers. No, there was uh there was this end. There's one end that's there and we actually, the production actually utilized the entire end. It's uh, in Calipatricia, Calipatricia uh, which is called, you know, slang Calipat. And the Calipat Inn, which is there, the pool was drained. The <laughs> beds were disgusting. The rooms were gross. The crew stayed there. I mean, we really roughed it to, to get this picture. And, you know, so there, there were some pluses and negatives to some of the, I know it's going to look great. I mean, I just think some of the, the, you know, the casting choices and things like that were uh, uh, could have been better, but that wasn't my call. Um, but yeah, there. But that was, you know, that was fun. I, I recently did another film, a sci- sci-fi fiction film, where I play this uh, uh, real serious, almost overly serious uh, sheriff, and he's got this real heavy set deputy, and uh, it, it's actually called uh, Uranus Attacks. <laughs> where are we going to be able to see that one i don't know yet it's, it's, in, post, it's in post-production right now but what about the salt and sea one what's that one called uh that is called uh gosh why am i forgetting you're like me i forget names of things <laughs> i've worked on you asked me yesterday and i forgot one of the james bond films i worked on. i couldn't think of the name it's crazy well, I'll, I'll think of it um <laughs> But, you know, since then, I've, I've worked on a, a ton of Lifetime movies. I've worked right. on a Hallmark, Christmas, Lifetime Christmas, um, a couple other indies. You know, I just I like to work. And if it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like most characters I can fall into if it's not something that's really out of the realm. So I, I really always try to even with my auditions, I, even if there's a character that's not right, I'm like, how can I make it right? Mm-hmm. How can I connect with it? What about me connects with this character? Um, you know, a lot of my friends are so quick to say, eh, it's not right for me. It's the, I, I would never do something like that. But, um, at, you know, at my age, <laughs> my age, uh, tomorrow's your birthday, isn't it? It is my birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife, I said, I'm not celebrating this year. Yes, you are. You have uh, to. <laughs> I know my friend, my friend who produced uh, beauty and the beast on Broadway, which he was my boss at one time. I now work with him and, He's I'm I'm his boss. <laughs> but <laughs> he was the managing producer of Beauty and the Beast. He's flying in. Oh, nice. And uh he's gonna be celebrating the birthday tomorrow. We've got some brunch plans and gonna get out there and you know, 
Blow out some candles, I suppose. And surprises from the family, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, you're really good with kids, and that's actually how we met. But uh, tell us a little bit about your involvement with Boys Town and what that means to you and how that has changed your life. Like, How did you get involved and how has it changed your life? Well, speaking of kids, um, you know, I had a, you know, I had a, not a great childhood and I feel like I, I really didn't have a childhood. I grew up really, really fast. Um, and the one thing when I became a father and, and it was actually when Kristen was pregnant with Luke, I was so nervous that I was going to be like my parents mm -hmm. and I was scared. I started getting very, very scared and I started drinking heavily and I started, you know, taking pills and just to numb. And this is while I was living in New York and I'm, I've, I've been an open book about this. Um, uh, and, and God bless, uh, ABC, Disney, um, and my producer, you know, she knew that I was going through a lot and, um, you know, they could have just fired somebody for, you know, some of the things that I was doing, but they wanted me to truly get help and face whatever those demons were at that point. And I realized that through that process that I wasn't going to be like my father and I was going to make sure that I was going to be in my children's life and I'm not going to abandon them. And um, which is why I told Kristen a long time ago, I said, I'm only going to do this thing once. I'm only going to get married one time in my life. I'm not going to, you know, all my brothers and sisters have been divorced. My parents have been divorced. My dad's been divorced multiple times. And I just, I just don't see that as a, an option for me. So I, while social media was really starting to kick off, especially like Instagram, there was a lot of these social media campaigns that were coming out for actors and personalities and entertainers. And I was, I was getting involved in a few of those. And I, I reached out because I really liked this idea and it was from a company, Boys Town. And I didn't put two and two together at that point. And it was really interesting because it was just something very simple. It was a, a paper, a little paper thing that you'd hang on the outside of your child's door. And instead of focusing on all the bad things that they would do during the day and reprimanding them, it was a praise box. So oh, nice. you drop little messages in there about, you know, hey, that was really, you know, nice thing that you said to your mom today or you know, you did really well on your test or whatever, whatever it was. And I just thought, wow, that's so neat. So I got involved with that and I did the campaign. And I think it was probably two months later, I was watching like Turner classic movies and Boys Town, the movie came on. The and Spencer Tracy with, film. <laughs> Spencer Tracy, Mickey Rooney. Yeah. And I don't know, I was probably watching for about a half hour and all of a sudden this light bulb went off and I went, no, that can't be the same boys town. So I called, I, I mean, I text the PR lady that was, you know, doing that, that thing. And I, I said, yeah, I'm watching boys town. Is this the same boys town? And she's like, it's one and the same. Oh. And at that point I was just, well, I need to learn more about what you guys do, you know? And, um, it wasn't long after that I was in, I was still living in Utah and they, I, I said, listen, let me know how I can help in any way. And so they they said, well, actually, would you be willing to do like a, a minute spot for us that we can put on syndicated television at nighttime and get donations? I said, absolutely. I said, I'll produce it for you, you know? And this was during, I think it was during COVID. So, I, you know, I, I was able to get a studio in Utah and and we ended up, I produced it and put it together. And it was their highest grossing donations that they had had gotten in a long, long time. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it was it was wonderful. And so from there, it just kept going on. And I, I went out to the campus. I had dinner with some of the kids and some of the so they, you know, the kids, they 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 live in. It's almost like a group home situation, but it's like a family home is what they call it. And the parents that are this, you know, the they're not really foster parents. They're just parents, guardians that are looking out for these kids. And they they put structure back into their lives, and they have you know they've got their chores at the you know the cleanup after dinner. They have to help with dinner. They have to make sure they do their schoolwork. And if they're doing all those things, then they get some you know certain privileges. They can you know play video games. They can go out and you know. And Boys Town's really interesting. They don't have any you know. There's no gates. There's no fences. Hmm. Like, and they've had kids that have run away or tried to run away. 
but that's the one thing that father Flanagan always said was like, you know, you, you know, no child should be, you know, fenced in and, and he made sure that, that, you know, that still goes on today. So these kids literally stay there on their own merit and they get an education. Um, so a lot of them get into college, secondary colleges. A lot of the kids have gone on to big football careers in the NFL. Um, and, and then of course, if, if that's not for them, they're learning a trade they're, while they're there, the mechanics, mm -hmm. diesel engines, culinary. I mean, they've got the, the most amazing culinary program that's there. Um, I just, I'm just really, I, for me, I was for a short time in my life, I was in foster care. So for, for me to see that and see the changes that these kids are going through, it really, it really uh, rang true to my heart. And that's, that's why I wanted to be involved. And that's why yeah. I still continue to champion for them. It resonates. Now they have a hotline as well, right? And it's yeah. not just for boys. No, no. Right? So, so they've had girls there since it's like 1972. Okay. So yeah, they integrated a long time ago and they tried to change the name. They, would call, they were calling it Boys and Girls Town, but everybody got it confused with the Boys and Girls Club. And so mm -hmm. it didn't go over very well. So eventually they ended up changing it back. So it's boystown.org? Yeah, boys yeah. For any information, go to boystown.org. Right. And, and even if you're just interested in perusing the site, and if you're a parent, there's all these great parenting tips on, you know, especially if you're dealing with children who are adolescents or they're, they're, they're de dealing with a lot of stuff in school. There's a lot of great tips that are in there. And uh, it's just it's just a really, really helpful site for any parent and their child. Especially now, I think kids and parents and teachers are having such a hard time. You know, and that reminds me, too, you're doing a lot with high schools right now. Can you tell everyone about that? Yeah. So uh, Next Generation Storytellers is a, a company that I co-founded with my, my partner, Trent Garrett, who is an, also an actor. And during COVID, well, we, 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 we found each other somehow accidentally in Utah several years before. And we, we stayed in touch through that process. But during COVID, of course, all the industry was shut down and we were trying to figure out, well, how can we fill our time and how can we fill our time for something good? And we started thinking like, well, what's not being done in schools? Well, the arts programs are failing in a lot of schools around the country. Um, they're taking away budgets. And that's one thing. As soon as the schools opened up, we said, well, let's just go test the waters. Let's Let's go into these schools. Let's see how they would feel about you know, acting or, you know, just brighten their day. And so we started doing that. And we did a, a visit in Hampton, Virginia, initially. And interestingly enough, we went to a very wealthy academy where the kids pay $40,000 or the, the parents pay $40,000 a year just for elementary school. Wow. <laughs> and, and so we went to the high school there. And the, we went to the theater department and the kids could not even care if we were there. Really? And, and and so we were like, wow, we felt pretty defeated. But then we went over to a couple of other schools, like a school that Trent actually went to when he was in high school. And there was a bigger, you know, a, a bigger response. It was really nice. And then we left. And shortly after, uh, a wonderful woman by the name of Jennifer Oliver called us, and she was the director of partnerships for uh, Hampton City Schools, which is uh, uh, under the umbrella of Ford Next Generation Learning called us in and asked us, she goes, well, why didn't you come see us? We'd love to hear more about what you're doing. You didn't invite me to the party. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, we really didn't have a full plan. We, we didn't even think about making short films at this point uh, and, and integrating that into education there. And so we just kept spitballing back and forth. And we said, well, why don't we do try a trial run and and bring in mentors through Zoom because Trent lives in Austin. I live in South Carolina. Obviously, we're not going to be flying up there teaching um, every week. So we did a summer program and the summer program went over like gangbusters. The kids loved it. The teachers really loved it that were involved. And from there, we created Next Generation Storytellers to where we come in, we do a 24-week crash course, teach these kids how to make a movie, everything from directing to first AD, all the way through the whole process. They write the script, direct it, act in it, um, and then fill in all the other shadowing parts that you know that they can't, we can't teach in 24 weeks and hands-on. But uh, 
but ultimately they walk away with a short film, something that they can be proud of. They walk away with an IMDb credit, which is something that, as you know, like even college students don't necessarily have. So it's, it's a really great opportunity for these kids that are unrepresented in these different communities uh, that would not normally have the ability or the money to be able to go to these colleges that are providing, you know, you know, those services. Right. So that's, so that's really, that's really what it is in a nutshell. And it's a different way of doing these films too. Cause as I'm running around the country uh, on behalf of HSMC, which is black magic's program, uh, they had me start a nonprofit called high school media collective. And, and I see the kids and they're making wonderful little projects, but they're doing it all in this microcosm within their school. What you're doing, you're bringing experts in to mentor them. So they're really making a professional film. They're working on a professional film. I love that part of it. Cause that's, I don't know of too many matter of fact, I don't know of any other organizations that are doing it that way. And you guys are perfect for it. Oh, thanks. So I mean, I'm, ideally I would love for them to become as the program progresses in the same markets, like say Hampton, I would love for the kids to be more apt to be able to pick up the cameras and start shooting stuff throughout the school year, which is is something we're really trying to integrate more. So they, they don't feel like when it comes time to filming, they're totally a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's really exciting. Anything we can do to help you let us know. And also where do people go to find out more about it? Because I'm sure that you need some financial help as well, right? For some of these schools and for some of the events, where do they go to learn more? Yeah. So it's nextgenerationstorytellers.org. Okay. Um, That's our website. You can contact us through that. All the information that any school that might be interested, or if you have a student that's in high school and you think it might be interesting, turn their principal onto it, their superintendent, they'll learn anything they need to know. And of course they can contact us through that. Mm Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. Are you still running the acting coaching site? I think at one point you were teaching acting, you and Trent. Are you still doing that? Yeah, yeah. So we have another company called Work With Working Actors. You don't have enough to do. Could you start another company? (laughs) (laughs) You do like to work, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's it's nice to be able to, first of all, work for yourself and also Mm -hmm. love what you're working on, which I love working with students. I love working with, you know, adults too. Um, So work with working actors came out of uh, uh, also during COVID. I was uh, a friend of mine who runs an acting troupe, so to speak, in New York called Actors Technique New York. It's all young kids that are learning how to do uh, off-Broadway, Broadway Broadway productions, dancing, singing. And of course, they have TV film. And so during COVID, of course, nobody could do anything in person. And he said, well, Jacob, would you like to head up the virtual program? I said, sure. You know, I mean, I wasn't doing anything else anyway. So I, I headed up that virtual program. And then I, I reached out to Trent. And I said, you know, it'd be really nice to be able to put a Disney Nickelodeon comedy class for these kids together. And so Trent was like, yeah, I'm totally down. I said, cool. <laughs> so... I can see so, him saying that. <laughs> so I, I got him. Picture that <laughs> hair flying. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. <laughs> yeah, and and so we we were, you know, he started teaching a class. I was teaching multiple different classes, and then eventually we said, you know, the the, the guy who owned the company, he went back, he went back to person in person classes, and he was like, well, I don't think there's going to be much more of these, you know, it's it's not going to catch on anymore. It was just a thing while during COVID. And Trent and I, we totally disagreed. We were like, look, we could fly around to schools. And I think that's really where the whole inception of schools came in. I said, we can fly around to schools on our own dime, meet with these schools. We can run workshops and get these kids involved. And he's like, I like it. And I said, well, if we're doing this and we fly ourselves there on our own dime, and our own money and transportation and all the other things, feeding ourselves, you know, we we got, we got to work out a very fair compensation for this. And he was like, I think we should do thirds. I was like, no, I, th- I was thinking more like 10%. And he was like, uh, I don't think so. And so Trent <laughs> and I said, well, we could do this better. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And we and did it. And you did it and you're doing it. I love it. Yeah, we've you- got multiple adult classes, teen classes, 
youth classes. We've got an infrastructure of all sorts of working actors, uh, teachers. Jason Blair has been on tons and tons of TV shows, series regular, Amanda Baker, uh, Brittany Sarpy. They're all coaches that work under uh, work with working actors. That's awesome. Where do people go to learn more about that one? Workwithworkingactors.com. That makes sense. (laughs) That makes total sense. So I'm curious about something totally off the subject. When you were five years old, little Jacob, five years old, what did you love to do? You know what I I love to do? Um, I used to love going to garage sales with my mom because Mm -hmm. I might find a little treasure. We didn't have a lot of money. And so most of my toys came secondhand. But, you know, I would collect Hot Wheels and, and you know, Hot Wheel tracks, uh, little train tracks, too, if I could find train, HO series. I, I would always get into that. So, yeah, I mean, going with my mom, garage sailing on Saturdays and Sundays. Oh, I could just see you doing that. And when you when you were very young, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, you know, when I was young, yeah, I was always very proud of my dad. He's a self-made man. And um, it was rough because we were raised by my mom, but he had a, a company he was buying and then eventually developed his own company. And I thought I was going to go into the family business, which is glass business, which is glazing, like a high-end tempered steel buildings, sheet, you know, walls of glass, like an Audi dealership or oh, love those. Yeah. Or like a high rise. And my, like my great grandfather did it, the space, the Seattle space needle. That was my great grandfather who put all that glass in there. Um, the Pacific science center. That was also my great grandfather. My grandfather also did the business. Uh, they had a company in my hometown of Yelm. It's called Young's Yelm's Yelm's Young's glass. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad worked there. Uh, you know, he's always been a, a hard worker. He got my mom pregnant when he was, I think he was 15. She was 16. Wow. And so they both dropped out of school. And so he went to work right away. And, but I always thought I was probably going to go into the family business. My brother ended up doing that. Um, somehow the arts drove me away from that. And I remember when I first told my dad, I said, I'm, I'm going to, I want to be an actor. And this is like right out of high school. And he just sighed and he's like, well, it's, it's your life. He wasn't really supportive of it at all. But that made me even want it that much more. So I thought I was going to go into the family business, but that's uh, that changed. That happens to a lot of creative people. A lot of times the parents just don't understand. They're worried that you're not going to be able to make a living doing it, right? Of course. Right. Um so now that you've had all this experience and this wonderful success and you're starting new ventures and you're really affecting the lives of a lot of people, not just the people that watch your work, but the kids that you're working with and their families and the teachers, what do you think about for you in the future? Like when you're 70, 80 years old, where do you want to be and what do you want to be doing? You know, I think... I, I know. I mean, what I want to do, I mean, I enjoy the producing process and I'm more of, I, I'm a creative, but I'm not a writer. That's not something I've, I've written screenplays. Um, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't think, I, I'm not saying that I couldn't be good enough and trained well enough into it. I just don't have the patience for it. Mm. My mind works differently. I like to find money. I like to figure out how to put creative projects together I'm more of a behind the scenes, you know, let me do what I do. I'll, I'll get this hotel to sponsor us. I'll get this to sponsor us. So production costs can come down. I I really enjoy that side of the business Um, and, you know, and working as an executive producer, Uh, my other partner in crime for, you know, for another production company that we have, Jason Cook, who's an actor, producer, director, writer, really successful, wonderful guy. You know, he says, well, you, you better still be in front of that camera. <laughs> and honestly, I have to be completely honest. And I say this to my wife all the time. I could care less if I never have another job in front of the camera. I I, I love the process. Um, and if I if it was never meant to be for me for the rest of my life to be in front of the camera, 
I'm okay with it. I've let that go. I don't, it's not something I've, I've fulfilled that need in my life. Um, will I turn a job down? No, I'll, I'll take it. I, I love acting too, but if I it never happens, fine. I think, I think the question is also, is the world ready to let that go for you? Right. I think the, <laughs> I think people still want to see you in these productions. So you're probably stuck with it for a while and you're yeah. so good at it. And you know, once you jump in, you love it, you know, you love it. Well, Talk I have to I... me for a minute before we go though, about your music, you know, I put up a little clip on social media talking about how we were going to interview you for the show. And I just put a little clip of loving it in there. And I cannot tell you how many people have commented on how much they love your voice. They love the emotion behind the song. Tell us uh, a little bit about your music career. So oddly enough, like when I, when I had just was signed to general hospital to sign a contract, I had been cutting some demos for a couple years, just trying to put some music together. And I was ultimately signed to a record deal in New York with Danny Goldberg and uh, Daniel Glass, who did the Eagles and Jeff Buckley and 311, the Cardigans, you name it. So many, so many artists. And he really believed in me. And I was, I was so excited. I spent the next seven months with the, a producer by the name of Stephen Laroni is from Scotland. He came out to Los Angeles. We wrote together. We literally, it was the Hollywood Hills writing sessions that you hear about. And, but it was just him and I, and we, we had put together a, a recording studio to do all the demos and then recorded at Hollywood studios and sunset studios and all the different locations around LA. And it was so much fun. Um, and then I started doing the promotional tour flying around, around the country <laughs> and ended up, you know, in New York city and was doing some promotion. I think I was on Regis and Kelly at that time. And, and then I got on to, uh, Z100. I was going to pop in there just to drop off my demo. And uh, I forget it. Scott Shannon, Scott Shannon. He's the, was the big DJ in New York for so many years. Uh, I was coming down out of the building and we happened to run in. I was with Daniel Glass. We run into Scott Shannon and he's like, who's this kid? He looks like Brad Pitt. And he goes, he goes, well, <laughs> this is Jacob Young. He's one of our new clients. Uh, and we just dropped off his demo. I'm on it. I'm on like in a taxi cab going back to Los Angeles because I have to shoot an episode of General Hospital. And I get a phone call from my manager and he said, you need to turn around now, come back to New York. You're staying through the week and Scott Shannon's putting you on drive time radio. He's going to he's going to play your single and he wants you to you know play an acoustic song as well. And I said, all right, but aren't I going to get fired from General Hospital? <laughs> And they called, they, he called them and they said, well, he's got to make it back. He has uh -oh. to make it back. And, and so they were like, uh, we was kind of, we kind of pulled the power play and we stayed anyway. And we said, look, we'll make up the episode. And good for you. So, so, so the single was called life is good. And this was like sort of my pop rock phase. And uh, I was young, you know, I was uh, 20, I guess, 20 years old. And the song was it was ready to come out. Clear Channel had picked it up. I had life-size cutouts in every Tower Records. Now, for all the youngsters out there, that was a record store that used to exist. <laughs> yeah. Life-size cutouts. And my so on my birthday, which is tomorrow, right? September 10th. That's right. I recorded my first music video. Uh -oh. And we shot it out in the desert. It was really awesome production. And we had an earthquake that night, which was really strange. And the next morning, my single was dropping. And wow. it came out on 9-11 on the day. Wow. So everything, like nobody went to movies, obviously. I mean, it was like everything was shut down, studio yeah. shut down. And no, nobody bought anything. So it was like that first week, you know, just kind of got shelved after that. And so I took that as like some sort of, maybe it was meant to be. Like maybe God was trying to tell me, hey, you know, this ain't for you. And so I, I shelved that for a long time. I never stopped playing guitar. But when I moved to Utah, I was writing a lot of songs. And I told my wife, I said, I, you know, I want to write more music. And then I kept writing music. And all the songs I kept writing were about her. <laughs> and she said, stop writing songs about me and go write songs for yourself and go to Nashville. And so 
I, you know, I had sort of a second, a second career movement in, in music again. And, and I, I got back out there and I started recording and I did it for myself, not for, to sell records, not to get on Spotify. And I, yes, there are on those things, but it was really just for myself to, to kind of get over that thing that I had been that dark cloud from, from my first album release. Yeah. 9-11 changed a lot of lives, didn't it? Well, yeah. I'm glad you're still doing it because you have a beautiful voice and people love listening. So uh, you're so talented, Jacob, you just do so many different things. And I think you're doing what you need to do and want to do. And you have a great family behind you and all of these young people whose lives are changing. And um, I'm just happy to know you, happy that we've become friends and looking forward to what's going to happen in the future for you. So I wish you all the best and thank you so much for coming on here. I wish we had three hours to talk. I have to bring you back and talk more about your music and some of these other things, but um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And thanks for everything that you're doing for people out in the world who are still and always will be inspired by you. Uh, we will talk again very soon. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I might not have mentioned or asked you? No, I mean, I, I think I think we covered quite a bit of ground, but we did. Uh, I just want to say thank you and thank you for everything that you're doing. That's it's uh, life is good. <laughs> Pun intended. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. He is Jacob Young. I'm Serena Catania, and you are listening to OWC Radio. And remember what I tell you every episode, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. Maybe get out in the fresh air for a while and think about the meaning of life and think of what you can do to help others. We'll talk again soon and have a wonderful day. OWC Radio is sponsored by Otherworld Computing. Visit MaxSales.com and check out the new Thunderblade X8 drives for the world's fastest speeds. Work smarter, faster, and more creatively with OWC Solutions.